Section 72, Part 2 of 4 of Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Clevenger. Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant by Ulysses S. Grant. Report of Lieutenant General U.S. Grant of the United States Armies, 1864-1865, continued. General Hunter immediately took up the offensive and, moving up the Shenandoah Valley, met the enemy on the 5th of June at Piedmont, and, after a battle of ten hours, routed and defeated him, capturing on the field of battle 1,500 men, three pieces of artillery, and 300 stand of small arms. On the 8th of the same month, he formed a junction with Crook and Averill at Staunton, from which place he moved direct on Lynchburg via Lexington, which place he reached and invested on the 16th day of June. Up to this time he was very successful, and, but for the difficulty of taking with him sufficient ordnance stores over so long a march through a hostile country, he would, no doubt, have captured that, to the enemy, important point. The destruction of the enemy's supplies and manufactories was very great. To meet this movement under General Hunter, General Lee sent a force, perhaps equal to a corps, a part of which reached Lynchburg a short time before Hunter. After some skirmishing on the 17th and 18th, General Hunter, owing to a want of ammunition to give battle, retired from before the place. Unfortunately, this want of ammunition left him no choice of route for his return but by way of Kanawha. This lost to us the use of his troops for several weeks from the defense of the north. Had General Hunter moved by way of Charlottesville instead of Lexington, as his instructions contemplated, he would have been in a position to have covered the Shenandoah Valley against the enemy, should the force he met have seemed to endanger it. If it did not, he would have been within easy distance of the James River Canal on the main line of communication between Lynchburg and the force sent for its defense. I have never taken exception to the operations of General Hunter, and am not now disposed to find fault with him, for I have no doubt he acted within what he conceived to be the spirit of his instructions and the interest of the service. The promptitude of his movements and his gallantry should entitle him to the commendation of his country. To return to the Army of the Potomac, the Second Corps commenced crossing the James River on the morning of the 14th by ferry boats at Wilcox's Landing. The laying of the pontoon bridge was completed about midnight of the 14th, and the crossing of the balance of the Army was rapidly pushed forward 
by both bridge and ferry. After the crossing had commenced, I proceeded by steamer to Bermuda Hundred to give the necessary orders for the immediate capture of Petersburg. The instructions to General Butler were verbal, and were for him to send General Smith immediately that night, with all the troops he could give him without sacrificing the position he then held. I told him, that I would return at once to the Army of the Potomac, hasten its crossing, and throw it forward to Petersburg by divisions as rapidly as it could be done, that we could reinforce our armies more rapidly there than the enemy could bring troops against us. General Smith got off as directed, and confronted the enemy's pickets near Petersburg before daylight next morning but for some reason that I have never been able to satisfactorily understand, did not get ready to assault his main lines until near sundown. Then, with a part of his command only, he made the assault, and carried the lines northeast of Petersburg from the Appomattox River for a distance of over two and a half miles, capturing fifteen pieces of artillery and three hundred prisoners. This was about 7 p.m. Between the line thus captured and Petersburg, there were no other works, and there was no evidence that the enemy had reinforced Petersburg with a single brigade from any source. The night was clear, the moon shining brightly and favorable to further operations. General Hancock, with two divisions of the 2nd Corps, reached General Smith just after dark and offered the service of these troops, as he, Smith, might wish, waving rank to the named commander, who he naturally supposed knew best the position of affairs, and what to do with the troops. But instead of taking these troops and pushing at once into Petersburg, he requested General Hancock to relieve a part of his line in the captured works, which was done before midnight. By the time I arrived the next morning, the enemy was in force. An attack was ordered to be made at six o'clock that evening by the troops under Smith and the Second and Ninth Corps. It required until that time for the Ninth Corps to get up and into position. The attack was made as ordered, and the fighting continued with but little intermission until six o'clock the next morning, and resulted in our carrying the advance and some of the main works of the enemy to the right, our left, of those previously captured by General Smith, several pieces of artillery, and over four hundred prisoners. The fifth corps, having got up, the attacks were renewed and persisted in with great vigor on the 17th and 18th, but only resulted in forcing the enemy into an interior line from which he could not be dislodged. The advantages of position gained by us were very great. The army then proceeded to envelop Petersburg, towards the south side railroad as far as possible without attacking fortifications 
on the sixteenth the enemy to reinforce petersburg withdrew from a part of his entrenchment in front of bermuda hundred expecting no doubt to get troops from north of the james to take the place of those withdrawn before we could discover it general butler taking advantage of this at once moved a force on the railroad between petersburg and richmond as soon as i was apprised of the advantage thus gained to retain it i ordered two divisions of the sixth corps general wright commanding that were embarking at wilcox's landing under orders for city point to report to general butler at bermuda hundred of which general butler was notified and the importance of holding a position in advance of his present line urged upon him about two o'clock in the afternoon general butler was forced back to the line the enemy had withdrawn from in the morning general wright with his two divisions joined general butler on the forenoon of the seventeenth the latter still holding with a strong picket line the enemy's works but instead of putting these divisions into the enemy's works to hold them he permitted them to halt and rest some distance in the rear of his own line between four and five o'clock in the afternoon the enemy attacked and drove in his pickets and reoccupied his old line on the night of the twentieth and the morning of the twenty-first a lodgment was effected by general butler with one brigade of infantry on the north bank of the james at deep bottom and connected by pontoon bridge with bermuda hundred on the nineteenth general sheridan on his return from his expedition against the virginia central railroad arrived at the white house just as the enemy's cavalry was about to attack it and compelled it to retire the result of this expedition was that general sheridan met the enemy's cavalry near trevilian station on the morning of the eleventh of june whom he attacked and after an obstinate contest drove from the field in complete rout he left his dead and nearly all his wounded in our hands and about four hundred prisoners and several hundred horses on the twelfth he destroyed the railroad from trevilian station to louisa courthouse this occupied until three o'clock p m when he advanced in the direction of gordonsville he found the enemy reinforced by infantry behind well-constructed rifle pits about five miles from the latter place and too strong to successfully assault on the extreme right however his reserve brigade carried the enemy's works twice and was twice driven therefrom by infantry night closed the contest not having sufficient ammunition to continue the engagement and his animals being without forage the country furnished but inferior grazing and hearing nothing from general hunter he withdrew his command to the north side of the north anna and commenced his return march 
reaching White House at the time before stated. After breaking up the depot at that place, he moved to the James River, which he reached safely after heavy fighting. He commenced crossing on the 25th near Fort Powhatan without further molestation and rejoined the Army of the Potomac. On the 22nd, General Wilson, with his own division of cavalry of the Army of the Potomac, and General Kautz's division of cavalry of the Army of the James, moved against the enemy's railroads south of Richmond, striking the Weldon Railroad at Reams's Station, destroying the depot and several miles of the road, and the south side road about fifteen miles from Petersburg to near Nottoway Station where he met and defeated a force of the enemy's cavalry. He reached Burksville Station on the afternoon of the 23rd, and from there destroyed the Danville Railroad to Roanoke Bridge, a distance of 25 miles, where he found the enemy in force and in a position from which he could not dislodge him. He then commenced his return march, and on the 28th met the enemy's cavalry in force at the Weldon Railroad crossing of Stony Creek, where he had a severe but not decisive engagement. Thence he made a detour from his left, with a view of reaching Reams's station, supposing it to be in our possession. At this place he was met by the enemy's cavalry, supported by infantry, and forced to retire, with the loss of his artillery and trains. In this last encounter, General Kotz, with a part of his command, became separated and made his way into our lines. General Wilson, with the remainder of his force, succeeded in crossing the Nottoway River and coming in safely on our left and rear. The damage to the enemy in this expedition more than compensated for the losses we sustained. It severed all connection by railroad with Richmond for several weeks. With a view of cutting the enemy's railroad from near Richmond to the Anna Rivers, and making him wary of the situation of his army in the Shenandoah, and, in the event of failure in this, to take advantage of his necessary withdrawal of troops from Petersburg, to explode a mine that had been prepared in front of the Ninth Corps and assault the enemy's lines at that place. On the night of the 26th of July, the Second Corps and two divisions of the Cavalry Corps and Kotz's Cavalry were crossed to the north bank of the James River and joined the force General Butler had there. On the 27th, the enemy was driven from his entrenched position with the loss of four pieces of artillery. On the 28th, our lines were extended from Deep Bottom to Newmarket Road, but in getting this position were attacked by the enemy in heavy force. The fighting lasted for several hours, resulting in considerable loss to both sides. The first object of this move, having failed, by reason of the very large force thrown there by the enemy, I determined to take advantage of the diversion made by assaulting Petersburg before he could get his force back there. 
one division of the second corps was withdrawn on the night of the twenty eighth and moved during the night to the rear of the eighteenth corps to relieve that corps in the line that it might be footloose in the assault to be made the other two divisions of the second corps and sheridan's cavalry were crossed over on the night of the twenty ninth and moved in front of petersburg on the morning of the thirtieth between four and five o'clock the mine was sprung blowing up a battery and most of a regiment and the advance of the assaulting column formed of the ninth corps immediately took possession of the crater made by the explosion and the line for some distance to the right and left of it and a detached line in front of it but for some cause failed to advance promptly to the ridge beyond had they done this i have every reason to believe that petersburg would have fallen other troops were immediately pushed forward but the time consumed in getting them up enabled the enemy to rally from his surprise which had been complete and get forces to this point for its defense the captured line thus being held being untenable and of no advantage to us the troops were withdrawn but not without heavy loss thus terminated in disaster what promised to be the most successful assault of the campaign immediately upon the enemy's ascertaining that general hunter was retreating from lynchburg by way of the kanawha river thus laying the shenandoah valley open for raid into maryland and pennsylvania he returned northward and moved down that valley as soon as this movement of the enemy was ascertained general hunter who had reached the kanawha river was directed to move his troops without delay by river and railroad to harper's ferry but owing to the difficulty of navigation by reason of low water and breaks in the railroad great delay was experienced in getting there it became necessary therefore to find other troops to check this movement of the enemy for this purpose the sixth corps was taken from the armies operating against richmond to which was added the nineteenth corps then fortunately beginning to arrive in hampton roads from the gulf department under orders issued immediately after the ascertainment of the results of the red river expedition the garrisons of baltimore and washington were at this time made up of heavy artillery regiments hundred days men and detachments from the invalid corps one division under command of general ricketts of the sixth corps was sent to baltimore and the remaining two divisions of the sixth corps under general wright were subsequently sent to washington on the third of july the enemy approached martinsburg general siegel who was in command of our forces there retreated across the potomac at shepherdtown and general weber commanding at harper's ferry crossed the occupied hagerstown moving a strong column towards frederick city general wallace with ricketts division and his own command 
the latter mostly new and undisciplined troops pushed out from baltimore with great promptness and met the enemy in force on the monocacy near the crossing of the railroad bridge his force was not sufficient to ensure success but he fought the enemy nevertheless and although it resulted in a defeat to our arms yet it detained the enemy and thereby served to enable general wright to reach washington with two divisions of the sixth corps and the advance of the nineteenth corps before him from monocacy the enemy moved on washington his cavalry advance reaching rockville on the evening of the tenth on the twelfth a reconnaissance was thrown out in front of fort stevens to ascertain the enemy's position and force a severe skirmish ensued in which we lost about two hundred and eighty in killed and wounded the enemy's loss was probably greater he commenced retreating during the night learning the exact condition of affairs at washington i requested by telegraph at forty-five minutes past eleven p m on the twelfth the assignment of major-general h g wright to the command of all the troops that could be made available to operate in the field against the enemy and directed that he should get outside of the trenches with all the force he could and push early to the last moment general wright commenced the pursuit on the thirteenth on the eighteenth the enemy was overtaken at snicker's ferry on the shenandoah when a sharp skirmish occurred and on the twentieth general averill encountered and defeated a portion of the rebel army at winchester capturing four pieces of artillery and several hundred prisoners learning that early was retreating south towards lynchburg or richmond i directed that the sixth and nineteenth corps be got back to the armies operating against richmond so that they might be used in a movement against lee before the return of the troops sent by him into the valley and that hunter should remain in the shenandoah valley keeping between any force of the enemy and washington acting on the defensive as much as possible i felt that if the enemy had any notion of returning the fact would be developed before the sixth and nineteenth corps could leave washington subsequently the nineteenth corps was accepted form the order to return to the james about the twenty-fifth it became evident that the enemy was again advancing upon maryland and pennsylvania and the sixth corps then at washington was ordered back to the vicinity of harper's ferry the rebel force moved down the valley and sent a raiding party into pennsylvania which on the thirtieth burned chambersburg and then retreated pursued by our cavalry towards cumberland they were met and defeated by general kelly and with diminished numbers escaped into the mountains of west virginia from the time of the first raid the telegraph wires were frequently down between washington and city point making it necessary to transmit messages a part of the way by boat it took from twenty-four to thirty-six hours to get dispatches through and return answers would be received showing a different state of facts 
from those on which they were based, causing confusion and apparent contradiction of orders that must have considerably embarrassed those who had to execute them, and rendered operations against the enemy less effective than they otherwise would have been. To remedy this evil, it was evident to my mind that some person should have the supreme command of all the forces in the Department of West Virginia, Washington, Susquehanna, and the Middle Department, and I so recommended. On the 2nd of August, I ordered General Sheridan to report in person to Major General Halleck, Chief of Staff at Washington, with a view to his assignment to the command of all the forces against Early. At this time, the enemy was concentrated in the neighborhood of Winchester, while our forces, under General Hunter, were concentrated on the Monocacy at the crossing of the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, leaving open to the enemy western Maryland and southern Pennsylvania. From where I was, I hesitated to give positive orders for the movement of our forces at Monocacy, lest by so doing I should expose Washington. Therefore, on the 4th, I left City Point to visit Hunter's command, and determined for myself what was best to be done. On arrival there, and after consultation with General Hunter, I issued to him the following instructions. Monocacy Bridge, Maryland, August 5th, 1864, 8 p.m. General, concentrate all your available force, without delay, in the vicinity of Harper's Ferry, leaving only such railroad guards and garrisons for public property as may be necessary. Use, in this concentrating, the railroad, if by so doing time can be saved. From Harper's Ferry, if it is found that the enemy has moved north of the Potomac in large force, push north, following him and attacking him wherever found. Follow him, if driven south of the Potomac, as long as it is safe to do so. If it is ascertained that the enemy has but a small force north of the Potomac, then push south with the main force, detaching under a competent commander a sufficient force to look after the raiders and drive them to their homes. In detaching such a force, the brigade of the cavalry now en route from Washington via Rockville may be taken into account. There are now on their way to join you three other brigades of the best cavalry, numbering at least 5,000 men and horses, these will be instructed, in the absence of further orders, to join you by the south side of the Potomac. One brigade will probably start tomorrow, in pushing up to Shenandoah Valley, where it is expected you will have to go first or last. It is desirable that nothing should be left to invite the enemy to return. Take all provisions, forage, and stock, wanted for the use of your command, such as cannot be consumed, destroy. It is not desirable that the buildings should be destroyed, they should rather be protected. But the people should be informed that, 
so long as an army can subsist among them recurrence of these raids must be expected and we are determined to stop them at all hazards bear in mind the object is to drive the enemy south and to do this you want to keep him always in sight be guided in your course by the course he takes make your own arrangements for supplies of all kinds giving regular vouchers for such as may be taken from loyal citizens in the country through which you march u s grant lieutenant general major general d hunter the troops were immediately put in motion and the advance reached halltown that night general hunter having in our conversation expressed a willingness to be relieved from command i telegraphed to have general sheridan then at washington sent to harper's ferry by the morning train with orders to take general command of all the troops in the field and to call on general hunter at monocacy who would turn over to him my letter of instructions i remained at monocacy until general sheridan arrived on the morning of the sixth and after a conference with him in relation to military affairs in that vicinity i returned to city point by way of washington on the seventh of august the middle department and the departments of west virginia washington and susquehanna were constituted into the middle military division and major general sheridan was assigned to temporary command of the same two divisions of cavalry commanded by generals torbert and wilson were sent to sheridan from the army of the potomac the first reached him at harper's ferry about the eleventh of august his operations during the month of august and the fore part of september were both of an offensive and defensive character resulting in many severe skirmishes principally by the cavalry in which we were generally successful but no general engagement took place the two armies lay in such a position the enemy on the west bank of the opaquan creek covering winchester and our forces in front of berryville that either could bring on a battle at any time defeat to us would lay open to the enemy the states of maryland and pennsylvania for long distances before another army could be interposed to check him under these circumstances i hesitated about allowing the initiative to be taken finally the use of the baltimore and ohio railroad and the chesapeake and ohio canal which were both obstructed by the enemy became so indispensably necessary to us and the importance of relieving pennsylvania and maryland from continuously threatened invasion so great that i determined the risk should be taken but fearing to telegraph the order for an attack without knowing more than i did of general sheridan's feelings as to what would be the probable result i left city point on the fifteenth of september to visit him at his headquarters to decide after conference with him 
what should be done. I met him at Charlestown, and he pointed out so distinctly how each army lay, what he could do the moment he was authorized, and expressed such confidence of success that I saw there were but two words of instructions necessary. Go in. For the convenience of forage, the teams for supplying the army were kept at Harper's Ferry. I asked him if he could get out his teams and supplies in time to make an attack on the ensuing Tuesday morning. His reply was that he could before daylight on Monday. He was off promptly to time, and I may here add that the result was such that I have never since deemed it necessary to visit General Sheridan before giving him orders. Early on the morning of the 19th, General Sheridan attacked General Early at the crossing of the Opequan Creek and after a most sanguinary and bloody battle, lasting until five o'clock in the evening, defeated him with heavy loss, carrying his entire position from Opequan Creek to Winchester, capturing several thousand prisoners and five pieces of artillery. The enemy rallied and made a stand in a strong position at Fisher's Hill, where he was attacked and again defeated with heavy loss on the 20th. Sheridan pursued him with great energy through Harrisonburg, Staunton, and the gaps of the Blue Ridge, after stripping the upper valley of most of the supplies and provisions for the rebel army, he returned to Strasburg, and took position on the north side of Cedar Creek. Having received considerable reinforcements, General Early again returned to the valley, and on the ninth of October his cavalry encountered ours near Strasburg, where the rebels were defeated with the loss of eleven pieces of artillery and three hundred and fifty prisoners. On the night of the 18th the enemy crossed the mountains, which separated the branches of the Shenandoah, forded the North Fork, and early on the morning of the 19th, under cover of the darkness and the fog, surprised and turned our left flank, and captured the batteries which enfiladed our whole line. Our troops fell back with heavy loss, and in much confusion, but were finally rallied between Middletown and Newtown. At this juncture, General Sheridan, who was at Winchester when the battle commenced, arrived on the field, arranged his lines just in time to repulse a heavy attack of the enemy, and immediately assuming the offensive. He attacked in turn with great vigor. The enemy was defeated with great slaughter, and the loss of most of his artillery and trains, and the trophies he had captured in the morning. The wreck of his army escaped during the night, and fled in the direction of Staunton and Lynchburg. Pursuit was made to Mount Jackson. Thus ended this, the enemy's last attempt to invade the north via the Shenandoah Valley. I was now enabled to return the 6th Corps to the Army of the Potomac, 
and to send one division from sheridan's army to the army of the james and another to savannah georgia to hold sherman's new acquisitions on the seacoast and thus enable him to move without detaching from his force for that purpose reports from various sources led me to believe that the enemy had detached three divisions from petersburg to reinforce early in the shenandoah valley i therefore sent the second corps and gregg's division of cavalry of the army of the potomac and a force of general butler's army on the night of the thirteenth of august to threaten richmond from the north side of the james to prevent him from sending troops away and if possible to draw back those sent in this move we captured six pieces of artillery and several hundred prisoners detained troops that were under marching orders and ascertained that but one division kershaw's of the three reputed detached had gone the enemy having withdrawn heavily from petersburg to resist this movement the fifth corps general warren commanding was moved out on the eighteenth and took possession of the weldon railroad during the day he had considerable fighting to regain possession of the road the enemy made repeated and desperate assaults but was each time repulsed with great loss on the night of the twentieth the troops on the north side of the james were withdrawn and hancock and gregg returned to the front at petersburg on the twenty-fifth the second corps and gregg's division of cavalry while at reams's station destroying the railroad were attacked and after desperate fighting a part of our line gave way and five pieces of artillery fell into the hands of the enemy by the twelfth of september a branch railroad was completed from the city point and petersburg railroad to the weldon railroad enabling us to supply without difficulty in all weather the army in front of petersburg the extension of our lines across the weldon railroad compelled the enemy to so extend his that it seemed he could have but few troops north of the james for the defense of richmond on the night of the twenty eighth the tenth corps major-general burney and the eighteenth corps major-general ord commanding of general butler's army were crossed to the north side of the james and advanced on the morning of the twenty ninth carrying the very strong fortifications and entrenchments below chaffin's farm known as fort harrison capturing fifteen pieces of artillery and the new market road and entrenchments this success was followed up by a gallant assault upon fort gilmer immediately in front of the chaffin farm fortifications in which we were repulsed with heavy loss Kotz's cavalry was pushed forward on the road to the right of this supported by infantry and reached the enemy's inner line but was unable to get further 
the position captured from the enemy was so threatening to richmond that i determined to hold it the enemy made several desperate attempts to dislodge us all of which were unsuccessful and for which he paid dearly on the morning of the thirtieth general meade sent out a reconnaissance with a view to attacking the enemy's line if it was found sufficiently weakened by withdrawal of troops to the north side in this reconnaissance we captured and held the enemy's works near poplar spring church in the afternoon troops moving to get to the left of the point gained were attacked by the enemy in heavy force and compelled to fall back until supported by the forces holding the captured works our cavalry under gregg was also attacked but repulsed the enemy with great loss on the seventh of october the enemy attacked Kotz's cavalry north of the James and drove it back with heavy loss and killed wounded and prisoners and the loss of all the artillery, eight or nine pieces. This he followed up by an attack on our entrenched infantry line, but was repulsed with severe slaughter. On the 13th a reconnaissance was sent out by General Butler, with a view to drive the enemy from some new works he was constructing which resulted in very heavy loss to us on the twenty seventh the army of the potomac leaving only sufficient men to hold its fortified line moved by the enemy's right flank the second corps followed by two divisions of the fifth corps with the cavalry in advance and covering our left flank forced a passage of hatcher's run and moved up the south side of it towards the south side railroad until the second corps and part of the cavalry reached the boydton plank road where it crosses hatcher's run at this point we were six miles distant from the south side railroad which i had hoped by this movement to reach and hold but finding that we had not reached the end of the enemy's fortifications and no place presenting itself for a successful assault by which he might be doubled up and shortened i determined to withdraw to within our fortified line orders were given accordingly immediately upon receiving a report that general warren had connected with general hancock i returned to my headquarters soon after i left the enemy moved out across hatcher's run in the gap between generals hancock and warren which was not closed as reported and made a desperate attack on general hancock's right and rear general hancock immediately faced his corps to meet it and after a bloody combat drove the enemy within his works and withdrew that night to his old position in support of this movement, General Butler made a demonstration on the north side of the James and attacked the enemy on the Williamsburg Road, and also on the York River Railroad. In the former, he was unsuccessful. In the latter, he succeeded in carrying a work which was afterwards abandoned and his forces withdrawn to their former positions. From this time forward, the operations in front of Petersburg and Richmond, 
until the spring campaign of 1865, were confined to the defense and extension of our lines, and to offensive movements for crippling the enemy's lines of communication, and to prevent his detaching any considerable force to send south. By the 7th of February our lines were extended to Hatcher's Run, and the Weldon Railroad had been destroyed to Hicksford. General Sherman moved from Chattanooga on the 6th of May with the armies of the Cumberland, Tennessee, and Ohio, commanded respectively by Generals Thomas, McPherson, and Schofield upon Johnston's army at Dalton, but finding the enemy's position at Buzzard's Roost, covering Dalton, too strong to be assaulted, General McPherson was sent through Snake Gap to turn it, while Generals Thomas and Schofield threatened it in front and on the north. This movement was successful. Johnston, finding his retreat likely to be cut off, fell back to his fortified position at Rosaka, where he was attacked on the afternoon of May 15th. A heavy battle ensued. During the night, the enemy retreated south. Late on the 17th, his rear guard was overtaken near Adairsville, and heavy skirmishing followed. The next morning, however, he had again disappeared. He was vigorously pursued and was overtaken at Cassville on the 19th, but during the ensuing night retreated across the Etowah. While these operations were going on, General Jefferson C. Davis's division of Thomas's army was sent to Rome, capturing it with its forts and artillery and its valuable mills and foundries. General Sherman, having given his army a few days' rest at this point, again put it in motion on the 23rd for Dallas, with a view of turning the difficult pass at Altoona. On the afternoon of the 25th, the advance under General Hooker had a severe battle with the enemy, driving him back to New Hope Church near Dallas. Several sharp encounters occurred at this point. The most important was on the 28th, when the enemy assaulted General McPherson at Dallas but received a terrible and bloody repulse. On the 4th of June, Johnston abandoned his entrenched position at New Hope Church and retreated to the strong positions of Kennesaw, Pine, and Lost Mountains. He was forced to yield the two last-named places and concentrate his army on Kennesaw, where... On the 27th, General Thomas and McPherson made a determined but unsuccessful assault. On the night of the 2nd of July, Sherman commenced moving his army by the right flank, and on the morning of the 3rd found that the enemy, in consequence of this movement, had abandoned Kennesaw and retreated across the Chattahoochee. General Sherman remained on the Chattahoochee to give his men rest and get up stores until the 17th of July, when he resumed his operations, crossed the Chattahoochee, 
destroyed a large portion of the railroad to augusta and drove the enemy back to atlanta at this place general hood succeeded general johnston in command of the rebel army and assuming the offensive defensive policy made several severe attacks upon sherman in the vicinity of atlanta the most desperate and determined of which was on the twenty second of july about one p m of this day the brave accomplished and noble-hearted mcpherson was killed general logan succeeded him and commanded the army of the tennessee through this desperate battle and until he was superseded by major general howard on the twenty sixth with the same success and ability that had characterized him in the command of a corps or division in all these attacks the enemy was repulsed with great loss finding it impossible to entirely invest the place general sherman after securing his line of communications across the chattahoochee moved his main force round by the enemy's left flank upon the montgomery and macon roads to draw the enemy from his fortifications in this he succeeded and after defeating the enemy near rough and ready jonesboro and lovejoy's forcing him to retreat to the south on the second of september occupied atlanta the objective point of his campaign about the time of this move the rebel cavalry under wheeler attempted to cut his communications in the rear but was repulsed at dalton and driven into east tennessee whence it proceeded west to mckinville murfreesboro and franklin and was finally driven south of the tennessee the damage done by this raid was repaired in a few days during the partial investment of atlanta general rosseau joined general sherman with a force of cavalry from decatur having made a successful raid upon the atlanta and montgomery railroad and its branches near opelika cavalry raids were also made by generals mccook garrard and stoneman to cut the remaining railroad communication with atlanta the first two were successful the latter disastrous general sherman's movement from chattanooga to atlanta was prompt skillful and brilliant the history of his flank movements and battles during that memorable campaign will ever be read with an interest unsurpassed by anything in history his own report and those of his subordinate commanders accompanying it give the details of that most successful campaign he was dependent for the supply of his armies upon a single track railroad from nashville to the point where he was operating this passed the entire distance through a hostile country and every foot of it had to be protected by troops the cavalry force of the enemy under forrest in northern mississippi was evidently waiting for sherman to advance far enough into the mountains of georgia to make a retreat disastrous 
to get upon this line and destroy it beyond the possibility of further use. To guard against this danger, Sherman left what he supposed to be a sufficient force to operate against Forrest in West Tennessee. He directed General Washburn, who commanded there, to send Brigadier General S.D. Sturgis in command of this force to attack him. On the morning of the 10th of June, General Sturgis met the enemy near Guntown, Mississippi, was badly beaten and driven back in utter rout and confusion to Memphis, a distance of about 100 miles, hotly pursued by the enemy. By this, however, the enemy was defeated in his designs upon Sherman's line of communications. The persistency with which he followed up his success exhausted him and made a season for rest and repairs necessary. In the meantime, Major General A.J. Smith, with the troops of the Army of the Tennessee, that had been sent by General Sherman to General Banks, arrived at Memphis on their return from Red River, where they had done most excellent service. He was directed by General Sherman to immediately take the offensive against Forrest. This he did with the promptness and effect which has characterized his whole military career. On the 14th of July he met the enemy at Tupelo, Mississippi, and whipped him badly. The fighting continued through three days. Our loss was small compared with that of the enemy. Having accomplished the object of his expedition, General Smith returned to Memphis. During the months of March and April, this same force under Forrest annoyed us considerably. On the 24th of March, it captured Union City, Kentucky, and its garrison, and on the 24th attacked Paducah, commanded by Colonel S.G. Hicks, 40th Illinois Volunteers. Colonel Hicks, having but a small force, withdrew to the forts near the river, from where he repulsed the enemy and drove him from the place. On the 13th of April, part of this force, under the rebel General Buford, summoned the garrison of Columbus, Kentucky, to surrender, but received for reply from Colonel Lawrence, 34th New Jersey Volunteers, that, being placed there by his government with adequate force to hold his post and repel all enemies from it, surrender was out of the question. On the morning of the same day, Forrest attacked Fort Pillow, Tennessee, garrisoned by a detachment of Tennessee cavalry and the 1st Regiment Alabama Colored Troops, commanded by Major Booth. The garrison fought bravely until about three o'clock in the afternoon, when the enemy carried the works by assault, and, after our men threw down their arms, proceeded in an inhuman and merciless massacre of the garrison. On the 14th, General Buford, having failed at Columbus, appeared before Paducah, but was again driven off. Guerrillas and raiders, seemingly emboldened by Forrest's operations, 
were also very active in Kentucky. The most noted of these was Morgan, with a force of from two to three thousand cavalry. He entered the state through Pound Gap in the latter part of May. On the 11th of June, they attacked and captured Cynthia with its entire garrison. On the 12th, he was overtaken by General Burbridge and completely routed with heavy loss and was finally driven out of the state. This notorious guerrilla was afterwards surprised and killed near Greenville, Tennessee, and his command captured and dispersed by General Gillum. In the absence of official reports of the commencement of the Red River expedition, except so far as relates to the movements of the troops sent by General Sherman under General A.J. Smith, I am unable to give the date of its starting. The troops under General Smith, comprising two divisions of the 16th and a detachment of the 17th Army Corps, left Vicksburg on the 10th of March, and reached the designated point on Red River one day earlier than that appointed by General Banks. The rebel forces at Fort de Russie, thinking to defeat him, left the fort on the 14th to give him battle in the open field. But, while occupying the enemy with skirmishing and demonstrations, Smith pushed forward to Fort de Russie, which had been left with a weak garrison, and captured it, with its garrison, about 350 men, 11 pieces of artillery, and many small arms. Our loss was but slight. On the 15th he pushed forward to Alexandria, which place he reached on the 18th. On the 21st he had an engagement with the enemy at Henderson's Hill, in which he defeated him, capturing 210 prisoners and four pieces of artillery. On the 28th he again attacked and defeated the enemy under the rebel General Taylor at Cane River. By the 26th, General Banks had assembled his whole army at Alexandria and pushed forward to Grand Ecore. On the morning of April 6th, he moved from Grand Ecore. On the afternoon of the 7th, he advanced and met the enemy near Pleasant Hill and drove him from the field. On the same afternoon, the enemy made a stand eight miles beyond Pleasant Hill, but was again compelled to retreat. On the 8th, at Sabine Crossroads and Peach Hill, the enemy attacked and defeated his advance, capturing 19 pieces of artillery and an immense amount of transportation and stores. During the night, General Banks fell back to Pleasant Hill, where another battle was fought on the 9th, and the enemy repulsed with great loss. During the night, General Banks continued his retrograde movement to Grande Corps and thence to Alexandria, which he reached on the 27th of April. Here a serious difficulty arose in getting Admiral Porter's fleet, which accompanied the expedition, over the rapids, the water having fallen so much since they passed up as to prevent their return. At the suggestion of Colonel now Brigadier General Bailey, 
and under his superintendence wing dams were constructed by which the channel was contracted so that the fleet passed down the rapids in safety the army evacuated alexandria on the fourteenth of may after considerable skirmishing with the enemy's advance and reached morganzia and point coupe near the end of the month the disastrous termination of this expedition and the lateness of the season rendered impracticable the carrying out of my plans of a movement in force sufficient to ensure the capture of mobile on the twenty-third of march major general steele left little rock with the seventh army corps to cooperate with general banks's expedition on the red river and reached arkadelphia on the twenty-eighth on the sixteenth of april after driving the enemy before him he was joined near elkins ferry in washita county by general thayer who had marched from fort smith after several severe skirmishes in which the enemy was defeated general steele reached camden which he occupied about the middle of april on learning the defeat and consequent retreat of general banks on red river and the loss of one of his own trains at marx's mill in dallas county general steele determined to fall back to the arkansas river he left camden on the twenty sixth of april and reached little rock on the second of may on the thirtieth of april the enemy attacked him while crossing saline river at jenkins's ferry but was repulsed with considerable loss our loss was about six hundred in killed wounded and prisoners major general canby who had been assigned to the command of the military division of the west mississippi was therefore directed to send the nineteenth army corps to join the armies operating against richmond and to limit the remainder of his command to such operations as might be necessary to hold the positions and lines of communications he then occupied before starting general a j smith's troops back to sherman general canby sent a part of it to disperse a force of the enemy that was collecting near the mississippi river general smith met and defeated this force near lake chico on the fifth of june our loss was about forty killed and seventy wounded in the latter part of july general canby sent major-general gordon granger with such forces as he could collect to cooperate with admiral farragut against the defences of mobile bay on the eighth of august fort gaines surrendered to the combined naval and land forces fort powell was blown up and abandoned on the ninth fort morgan was invested and after a severe bombardment surrendered on the twenty-third the total captures amounted to one thousand four hundred and sixty-four prisoners and one hundred and four pieces of artillery about the last of august it being reported that the rebel general price 
with a force of about 10,000 men, had reached Jackson Port on his way to invade Missouri. General A.J. Smith's command, then en route from Memphis to join Sherman, was ordered to Missouri. A cavalry force was also at the same time sent from Memphis under command of Colonel Winslow. This made General Rosecrans's forces superior to those of Price, and no doubt was entertained he would be able to check Price and drive him back, while the forces under General Steele in Arkansas would cut off his retreat. On the 26th day of September, Price attacked Pilot Knob and forced the garrison to retreat, and thence moved north to the Missouri River and continued up that river towards Kansas. General Curtis, commanding Department of Kansas, immediately collected such forces as he could to repel the invasion of Kansas, while General Rosecrans's cavalry was operating in his rear. The enemy was brought to battle on the Big Blue and defeated, with the loss of nearly all his artillery and trains and a large number of prisoners. He made a precipitate retreat to northern Arkansas. The impunity with which Price was enabled to roam over the state of Missouri for a long time, and the incalculable mischief done by him show to how little purpose a superior force may be used. There is no reason why General Rosecrans should not have concentrated his forces and beaten and driven Price before the latter reached Pilot Knob. September 20th, the enemy's cavalry under Forrest crossed the Tennessee near Waterloo, Alabama, and on the 23rd, attacked the garrison at athens consisting of six hundred men which capitulated on the twenty-fourth soon after the surrender two regiments of reinforcements arrived and after a severe fight were compelled to surrender forrest destroyed the railroad westward captured the garrison at sulphur branch trestle skirmished with the garrison at Pulaski on the 27th, and on the same day cut the Nashville and Chattanooga Railroad near Tullahoma and Accard. On the morning of the 30th, one column of Forrest's command, under Buford, appeared before Huntsville and summoned the surrender of the garrison. Receiving an answer in the negative, he remained in the vicinity of the place until next morning, when he again summoned its surrender, and received the same reply as on the night before. He withdrew in the direction of Athens, which place had been re-garrisoned, and attacked it on the afternoon of the 1st of October, but without success. On the morning of the 2nd he renewed his attack, but was handsomely repulsed. Another column under Forrest appeared before Columbia on the morning of the 1st, but did not make an attack. On the morning of the 3rd, he moved towards Mount Pleasant. While these operations were going on, every exertion was made by General Thomas to destroy the forces under Forrest 
before he could recross the Tennessee, but was unable to prevent his escape to Corinth, Mississippi. In September, an expedition under General Burbridge was sent to destroy the salt works at Saltville, Virginia. He met the enemy on the 2nd of October, about three miles and a half from Saltville, and drove him into his strongly entrenched position around the salt works, from which he was unable to dislodge him. During the night, he withdrew his command and returned to Kentucky. General Sherman, immediately after the fall of Atlanta, put his armies in camp in and about the place, and made all preparations for refitting and supplying them for future service. The great length of road from Atlanta to the Cumberland River, however, which had to be guarded, allowed the troops but little rest. During this time, Jefferson Davis made a speech in Macon, Georgia, which was reported in the papers of the South and soon became known to the whole country, disclosing the plans of the enemy, thus enabling General Sherman to fully meet them. He exhibited the weakness of supposing that an army that had been beaten and fearfully decimated in a vain attempt at the defensive could successfully undertake the offensive against the army that had so often defeated it. In execution of this plan, Hood, with his army, was soon reported to the southwest of Atlanta, moving far to Sherman's right. He succeeded in reaching the railroad about Big Shanty and moved north on it. General Sherman leaving a force to hold Atlanta, with the remainder of his army fell upon him and drove him to Gadsden, Alabama. Seeing the constant annoyance he would have with the roads to his rear, if he attempted to hold Atlanta, General Sherman proposed the abandonment and destruction of that place with all the railroads leading to it, and telegraphed me as follows. Centerville, Georgia, October 10, noon. Dispatch about Wilson just received. Hood is now crossing Coosa River, 12 miles below Rome, bound west. If he passes over the Mobile and Ohio Road, had I not better execute the plan of my letter sent by Colonel Porter, and leave General Thomas, with the troops now in Tennessee, to defend the state. He will have an ample force when the reinforcements ordered reach Nashville. W.T. Sherman, Major General, Lieutenant General Grant. For a full understanding of the plan referred to in this dispatch, I quote from the letter sent by Colonel Porter. I will therefore give my opinion that your army and Canby's should be reinforced to the maximum, that after you get Wilmington, you strike for Savannah and the river, that Canby be instructed to hold the Mississippi River and send a force to get Columbus, Georgia, either by the way of the Alabama or the Apalachicola, 
and that I keep Hood employed and put my army in final order for a march on Augusta, Columbia, and Charleston, to be ready as soon as Wilmington is sealed as to commerce and the city of Savannah is in our possession. This was in reply to a letter of mine of date September 12th, in answer to a dispatch of his containing substantially the same proposition, and in which I informed him of a proposed movement against Wilmington, and of the situation in Virginia, etc. City Point, Virginia, October 11, 1864, 11 a.m. Your dispatch of October 10th received does it not look as if hood was going to attempt the invasion of middle tennessee using the mobile and ohio and memphis and charleston roads to supply his base on the tennessee river about florence or decatur if he does this he ought to be met and prevented from getting north of the tennessee river if you were to cut loose I do not believe you would meet Hood's army, but would be bushwhacked by all the old men and little boys and such railroad guards as are still left at home. Hood would probably strike for Nashville, thinking that by going north he could inflict greater damage upon us than we could upon the rebels by going south. If there is any way of getting at Hood's army, I would prefer that, but I must trust to your own judgment. I find I shall not be able to send a force from here to act with you on Savannah. Your movements, therefore, will be independent of mine, at least until the fall of Richmond takes place. I am afraid, Thomas, with such lines of road as he has to protect, could not prevent Hood from going north. With Wilson turned loose, with all your cavalry you will find the rebels put much more on the defensive than heretofore. U.S. Grant, Lieutenant General, Major General W.T. Sherman End of Section 72, Part 2 of 4 Recording by Jim Clevenger, Little Rock, Arkansas, Jim at J-O-C-C-L-E-V dot com.